Beautiful Shabbat evening. I'm here with uh, Kirk and Dee. Uh, we're going to begin, um, as we uh, typically do, with a quick review of the news. I don't think we reviewed news at all last week, so we'll have a, a little bit of catching up to do. Uh, starting on a uh, on a story that was uh, personal to me, just because I had spent so much time in Lahaina, and before I moved to the East Coast, and then now even further east into the Caribbean, uh, I used to um, travel at least once a year to the Hawaiian Islands, and uh, Maui was one of the favorite places. Lahaina is the is really the jewel of uh, of Maui, uh, and it was a tragic thing that over 100 people lost their lives, and and that uh, I think there's still several hundred that are missing. But it was interesting to see all of the progressives and leftists immediately blame global warming and climate change and say, you know, this is, these mm-hmm. deaths are all attributable to climate change and global warming. It had nothing to do with global warming and climate change. It had to do with uh, two really um, uh, tragic combinations of, uh, of human error. Uh, one is that uh, Hawaii is such a liberal state that it is very difficult for any business to operate in Hawaii. And so the, uh, the, uh, the last of the farmers that grew pineapple, for example, uh, gave up. And so when they stopped growing the crop, uh, um, invasive species of grass took over those fields. And that grass is uh, exceedingly combustible. And so the Hawaiians have known for some time now since the, uh, those fields of, uh, of pineapple and sugarcane before them uh, were, uh, were laid fallow, that, that they needed to deal with that grass and, uh, and plant uh, native species back there. But they didn't. And so it was a tinderbox waiting to happen, and they knew it. But the reason the fire was ignited is that uh, the utility, being a monopoly, um, didn't bother to uh, replace electric wires that had lost all of their insulation. 
you know, I live in a caustic environment. It's a beautiful environment, but when you're uh, on an island, uh, the sun and the salt um, eat away at everything. Mm-hmm. And everything has to be replaced on a periodic basis. But the utility and the government overseeing the utility did not take uh, uh, the replacement of wires seriously. And so many of the wires on the telephone poles in uh, Maui in particular were bare. The wires were exposed. And many of the poles were leaning and no one did anything about them. So when they got a strong blustery wind... All it did is took was to take uh, some of those frayed wires and some of those poles and have the wires hit that explosive grass and instant fire. Had nothing to do with climate change or global warming and all to do with uh, the inability of uh, of humans to um, create an environment where businesses could continue and to be responsible for uh, for uh, things that are just common, like uh, utilities. It has been a really bad week in uh, Israel for um, uh, for uh, murders and terrorist uh, attacks. The first story I happened, uh, have happens to be in Rahat. It's a seven-year-old boy, a Muslim boy, that was shot and killed. He was shot and killed by a family member. And the... Uh, um, the Muslims... In, uh, uh, in the, the family are blaming, uh, of course, the Jews. They're not blaming uh, Islam. They're not blaming their, uh, their culture. They're not blaming the idiot that fired the bullet. They're not uh, uh, blaming the argument that led to them uh, deciding that the smart thing to do would be to uh, shoot their guns. And listen, in, in um, a place uh, like the, the West Bank, as the Muslims like to call it, uh, you do not have a gun because you're trying to um, uh, go Jew hunting or, uh, or to protect your property. Right. It's there to kill Jews. And so the, uh, the Muslim blamed uh, Jews. He said, oh, God forbid, if the weapon uh, had hit a Jew, the police would have acted immediately. The Jew still would have been dead and he would have been killed because of a terrorist attack, not by... Uh, by anything other than the Muslim was trying to kill him as a terrorist. And he says, but, but in Rahat, they do nothing, and that's the truth. Oh, jeez. Why aren't you responsible? You know, it was interesting. There was a, uh, an article posted this week on the Oslo Accords with the, the beaming uh, numbskull um, Bill Clinton uh, orchestrating it and, and Yasser Arafat, uh, the PLO chieftain, uh, uh, being given his uh, essentially his own country, they uh, you know they had would have full autonomy. The U.S. would pay for it. They'd have their own police, their own uh, 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 what became uh, the PA uh, uh, armed forces. They would have their own schools. They would have uh, their own uh, business culture, their own flag, their own everything. And they would hold elections. Would be a part of this, and of course. They dispensed with that immediately, uh, and they uh, uh, taught in their schools that the, uh, the highest calling is to go out and kill a Jew, and then they, uh, they rewarded killing Jews, uh, and they reneged on every aspect of it, and now Jews are expected to, uh, to ignore all of that and give them a, 
a state of their own. But Oslo was a gross uh, uh, disgrace. Um, speaking of disgraces, um, the uh, Americans right now are uh, grumbling that uh, the brotherhood between the Chinese and Russians is the greatest threat to uh, the world today. Uh, the fact of the matter is the only reason the Russians and the Chinese are buddy-buddy the United States has uh, been uh, doing everything they can to harass both. And by uh, putting sanctions on the Russians and putting sanctions on the Iranians and then dicking around with the Iranians as it relates to their nuclear program, somehow people actually believing that they uh, they were enriching uranium for peaceful scientific purposes, which was put in every liberal article uh, for years and years. But what it has done is put the Iranians in bed, both with the Chinese and the Russians, and now they are exchanging all manner of technologies. It's, uh, it's a guarantee now that the Iranians uh, uh, acquire the ability to uh, to detonate a nuclear bomb. They already have the uranium. They already have the knowledge. They even have the intercontinental uh, ballistic missiles. Uh, and their drone and other technologies uh, are, uh, are exceptional enough that they're actually selling those technologies to countries like Russia. Uh, America's malfeasance has made the world an exceedingly uh, dangerous place. Uh, and we are a danger to ourselves and to the world when we don't understand the ramifications of our actions. It's, it's very much like when uh, the United States decided that we needed to uh, remove, this was Obama, we needed to remove uh, Gaddafi. Uh, so we intervened in Libya and look what happened. Uh, total and complete chaos. When Bush decided that we needed to intervene in Afghanistan and Iraq and what look what happened. We gave Iraq to Iran destabilized the uh, the region and uh, and which essentially ended up giving Syria to to Iran and the Taliban now has control of more of Afghanistan than they had before our uh, invasion we just don't think it through as a a nation and we make bad situations worse uh, we spoke of uh, of uh, Jews it's hard to uh, believe but nonetheless it's true that in Tennessee, you know, good old Bible thumping Tennessee. <laughs> Hello. Oh no! Did we lose him? Uh, temporarily. Let's let's hope that yep. he'll uh, come online here in a second. All right. So and, I've uh, been cut off here. So how do we get back? Reconnect. You're back ah. on. Am I back you're on? Back on. Okay. So anyway, the uh, uh, this adoption agency said, "Nope, uh, you're Jewish, therefore you cannot adopt a child." It's like going back to the uh, when the Catholic Church decided that they needed to take the children of Jews so that they could, uh, you know, beat the devil out of them. Yep, because they were Jewish, they were refused to be able to adopt. Uh, are we? Am I still connected or am I unconnected now? You're here. No, you're I'm good. still here. Okay. All right. Good. All right. Um, today uh, was a bad day along the Gaza border with Israel. Uh, Palestinians decided to riot, and the way they decided to riot was to try to climb the the fence between Gaza and Israel. The fence is 
not to lock Muslims in Gaza in, but to keep them out of Israel. And they decided to riot. And so as they were throwing uh, uh, incendiary devices and everything else they could muster into uh, Israel, uh, Israel shot back and a number of them were, uh, were killed. Uh, and yet there, the decision that led to that was to see if they could climb the separation wall that is to keep the terrorists out of Israel. It may not sound like it's related to anything that we're um, talking about, but in a way it is. Um, there are reports now out of Antarctica that the sexual harassment of women is off the charts and that those who are abusing women are never uh, held accountable and that there is nothing that the women who are working there can do uh, to prevent being uh, attacked. And the reason I share this with you is that uh, Antarctica is a National Science uh, Foundation uh, project. It is a, a place where there are only scientists. You know, you don't go to Antarctica and are, you're not stationed there unless you are an exceedingly well-educated person uh, and, uh, and an advocate of the sciences. And look what happens with, uh, with extreme education and the liberalism that goes along with it, the National Science Foundation, which during the previous administration, uh, they wanted us to worship uh, as if uh, the, we listen to science. Uh, well, I want to tell you, they're as bad as, uh, mm -hmm. as anyone else. There was a survey uh, uh, this past week of Tesla owners who were selling their vehicles. Now, do you know why uh, Tesla owners are selling their vehicles? Do you think it's because their uh, um, the quality is not what they anticipated? It's uh, that they don't up. perform at the level that was uh, anticipated that uh, they aren't as fun to drive as, uh, as uh, most people find them. Um, what do you think the reason okay. was that Tesla owners are selling their Teslas? Um, I don't know. I got them all over my neighborhood. Up. I mean, yeah. Elon Musk. Elon Musk. They don't say. <laughs> they, they are so into their, their public image and how their peer group perceives them, that they really? can't pull up to the house of another progressive in a Tesla because Elon Musk, who is a liberal in the last election, voted for uh, a Democrat, uh, because Elon Musk um, is a free speech advocate and doesn't kowtow to the liberal positions, particularly in social media. So for that reason, they are selling their Teslas. They say that their 17.8% have listed that they're unhappy with Tesla's brand perception as the number one reason wow. for selling their car. What is to say is that, that, that I have nothing going for me, and it's only the labels that, uh, that surround me that define who I am and whether or not I'm worthy to be accepted uh, among my friends. <sighs> there was a, uh, 
uh, a series of news articles out this week over something that was really, really sickening. But uh, Latvia was a place of of, uh, horrible uh, carnage in the Jewish community. Uh, many, many thousands of, uh, of Jews were murdered there. The difference between Latvia uh, and World War II uh, and other places is that while the Germans were always eager to, uh, to um, uh, take pictures of their carnage, um, in this particular case, they took home movies and they took hundreds of still photographs and and so you see uh, the local community and the Germans all uh, out as if a day in the park, and they're requiring Jewish women and children to strip, to take off their clothes, and stand on the ledge of a trench that is filled with the bodies of other Jewish women and children who have been shot. And... They line them up at five or six at a time. They bring them in these open bed trucks, get them out of the trucks, walk them to the leads five or six at a time with others standing in the line, and then shoot them in the backs after they have undressed and then uh, kick them into the bottom of the trench if they don't naturally fall in. That's the picture. Now, I'm going to say something that that causes uh, Jews to cringe uh, because, listen, the main story here is that in the community around the the Baltic Sea and Latvia, uh, the local community was sufficiently anti-Semitic to to support uh, the the Jews being uh, taken out and killed. Uh, And the, the fact that Germans... Uh, and really throughout Europe, found that it was acceptable to go out and and murder Jews in mass uh, and dehumanize them in this way is one of the the things that, that speaks so eloquently about how horrible uh, we are as a, as a people and how we have not grown at all or progressed at all really since the days of Noah. But there is something tragically wrong with the Jewish mindset. Uh, These pictures show Jewish men even jumping out of uh, of the backs of these trucks and scampering at the orders of the the German guards, running to the place where they're going to be shot and killed and where their own wives and children are being shot and killed. Now, I understand that none of these Jews were armed and that there were probably uh, 20-some-odd uh, uh, guards there with guns between the local community and the, uh, and the Germans. And I understand that there was a 0% chance that any of them were going to survive. You know, even if they ran away, they were going to be found and killed. I understand all that but you still don't run to your device. Nick? You still don't follow the orders of somebody that's killing your, your wife and your children. You just don't do that. You know, even if they had all turned on those guards and gone after them, they probably could have killed half of them. Well, and that would have been the right thing to, to do. 
Yeah. And so the advice that they were given, which in this case, the only reason they would all act the same way is that the rabbis are the ones that gave them this advice. And it was horrible advice. And it's, it causes people to disrespect the victim when the victim doesn't do anything to try to help themselves. And listen, I, I get it that there was no way that they were going to prevail. They would have all been killed, and all of the blame falls on the anti-Semites throughout Europe that thought it was appropriate to round up a, an ethnicity and perpetrate genocide. That's where all of the blame lies. But it still leaves us wondering as to how rabbis have managed to influence the Jewish psyche such that they would respond that way. I mean, I'm an old guy. Uh, there's no, uh, I, I am, you know, you get a 25-year-old soldier with a gun. I am not going to uh, prevail, but I'm going to go down trying. That's all there is to it. And that's not what occurred. And these pictures drive that story home, and it is, um, I, I'm sorry, it's really, really tragic. Um, speaking of tragic, the saddest item in the news uh, this week was the, uh, the sentences for uh, the two uh, uh, ex-Proud Boys uh, organizers. Uh, one uh, got uh, 17 years in prison. Now, the one that got 17 years in prison um, didn't strike anybody. His only crime was uh, trespass and this idea that the liberals don't like the idea that uh, the right is upset with the uh, with um, uh, election laws uh, and uh, and balloting and d- doesn't trust them uh, either one. But he got 17 years. It wasn't armed. Thank God. Didn't strike anyone. The second largest uh, sentence uh, this week, um, I think, was closer to 15 years. And the person that got the 15-year sentence wasn't even in Washington on January 6th. It wasn't even in Washington. There have been a thousand people. Now, there, uh, mind you, the the, uh, the rally that Trump Held. We don't know the exact number of people that were there, uh, but the estimates are somewhere between 13 and 15,000. Of those, uh, the maximum number of guns was 13. So this, you know, being an armed assault on the Capitol, nonsense. 13 out of an absolute minimum number there was uh, 13,000, one-tenth of one percent. The rest were armed with their cell phones to take selfies. There have been a thousand of those 13,000 who have been indicted when their principal crime was trespass on public property. And of those thousand that have been indicted, 600 have been convicted. 
Uh, it's embarrassing. Listen, I, I, I think everybody knows. I think that uh, Trump is an absolute dunderhead and nincompoop. Uh, I think he is a danger to himself and to the world. Um, uh, I am not a fan of Donald Trump. Uh, but I will tell you this, that the policies of Donald Trump when he was in office were vastly superior to the policies of the uh, preceding presidents as long as I can remember going back. Um, Donald Trump was a danger to himself and the world based upon what he said, uh, not what he did. And I have watched the rally that he had prior to January 6th, and I thought what he said was disgusting. Now, the truth of the matter is that we have made our elections such that nobody knows who wins anymore. And it's a, a combination of things. But when you get rid of, uh, of people being required to register well in advance of an election, somewhere, you know, sometimes three, four, five, six months in advance of an election, that you have to register and you have to, your registration, you have to prove that you live in that community and that you register for either a party or independent so that your name is on those voting uh, uh, rosters and that you go in with ID that says, this is who I am, and they cross your name off when you go through. And then you're punching tangibly a paper ballot, which is then tabulated and can be retained and recounted, which requires, A, you're a citizen. B, you live in that community. C, you're registered to vote. D, you have uh, a, uh, a form of identification uh, that you can only vote once and that there's no other way for you to stuff a ballot box. That's what was required. But the Democrats didn't like that because they wanted people who were really too stupid and too lazy to know what the issues are or to register to vote or to get identification or to prove they live in a community. They wanted them to go vote. Now, this idea the more people that vote, the better, nonsense. The only people that should vote are those who actually know the candidates, what they stand for, understand the issues, have some understanding of economics yes. and business mm -hmm. and international policy and history. Those are the people that should be voting. And if you're a net recipient of government handouts, you ought not be allowed to vote. True. But only if you're contributing to the greater good of the country. Yeah. But we've gotten rid of all of that. And now we have people can fill out paper ballots. They don't have to prove who they are. There's no identification required. There's no proof of citizenship. There's no checks. There's no, no anything that can be used to determine the validity of an election. And then once the election has the holy water of whoever the uh, government official is that's over them, the, whatever there was in terms of ballots are destroyed. So we have no idea. And to say anything other than nobody knows anymore 
and there can be no confidence in our elections because of these reasons. If Trump had said that, and said that it, and particularly in these states, and you look at the way the returns were coming in, and then bags full of, uh, of ballots that are 90% against him uh, are, uh, are counted, and it turns the election. He had every right to speak out and say, I, I think there was malfeasance here. But he didn't explain what the problem was. It's like he was talking to four-year-olds who wouldn't understand it even if he could explain it. <laughs> and so we are in a pickle. Now, I don't care. I shouldn't say we. I don't vote. I would encourage everyone who's part of the covenant not to vote. Do not participate in politics. Yahweh requires us to walk away from, from religion and politics to be part of his covenant family. But it is appropriate to speak of it for the same reasons that we speak of religion. We, we speak of it to expose it and condemn it. And I think it's important that people know these things. But to have 1,100 people be charged, be indicted in what was called a riot-related federal crime when there weren't anywhere close to 1,000 people that were doing anything more than taking selfies. And these two guys, one of them uh, spoke on the microphone, and his greatest crime was to say, whose capital is it? It's our capital. That's what it's supposed to be. That's what it's supposed to be. He didn't hit anybody. He didn't hurt anybody. No. But everything that they stood for, I disagree with. Uh, I think they're a bunch of numbskulls. But if you don't speak out against government tyranny, then I guess you deserve your fate. So I'm speaking against the government tyranny that has uh, brought this to this position. It, it's very much like all of these uh, four uh, federal uh, trials against uh, Donald Trump. None of them should be, have uh, um, shouldn't have been indicted anyway. Right. Uh, uh, a president taking some of the uh, of the files from the time he was president ought not be a crime. It just ought not be a crime. And there's no national security issues. This is utter nonsense. Yes, and the idea that uh, that he was investigated over the payoffs to Stormy Daniels, which is not a crime. So the other indictment is that the paperwork wasn't all uh, legit. That there's there's uh, abnormalities in his paperwork, and that's the crime. You're going to bring a former president and someone who's leading his party's nomination for president to a to a 30 some odd felony charges because his attorney filled out the paperwork in a manner that's inconsistent with the way that you think it ought to be filled out. And in Georgia, yeah, he uh, he made some phone calls as president saying, you know, something really is uh, uh, awry here. And since obviously bags of of uh, votes have been have come in against me, where where are the votes that are for me? Now, do I think he should have done it? No. Do I think he should have protested? No. 
I think he should have walked out, held his head high, and say, you know, I, uh, I don't think that this was a fair election for the following reasons. But nonetheless, uh, what we need to do as, uh, as a people is improve the process of voting. And uh, I'm going to spend the next four years doing that, and then I might run again. But he didn't do that. Um, many of you know, as we talked about how bad a week it was uh, in, um, in Israel. Uh, again, people doing this, I think, are numbskulls. They're Israelis that want to go and pray at Joseph's tomb. Now, why in the world do you want to pray at a dead guy's tomb? I do not know. Joseph was probably a good guy. <clears throat> Joseph. You know, he, uh, his experiences in, uh, in Mitzrayim uh, are, uh, are, are really extraordinary. But I'm not going to his tomb. No one should be going to his tomb. Now, the thing that was uh, telling about this, the reason I'm telling this story, is that when the Jews went there, uh, the uh, Muslims blew up uh, uh, IEDs, improvised explosive devices. And what they shouted is, this is our land. You're not welcome. You can't come into our land. So this will be your tomb. So how in the world can those areas be occupied as the world wants it to believe, us to believe if Jews have to be escorted in, and when they're escorted in, they are attacked and told that it's not their place and they have to leave? How in the world can you put those two things together and think that you're, you've got the high moral ground? Right. Well, was Joseph buried there if it's not their land? Yes. First of all, if it's Joseph's tomb, who was You're he? In the wrong place. He was one of the sons of uh, of Jacob. I think who so. was he? He was Israel. Number eleven. Yeah. Come on, figure it out. <laughs> all right. So we're going to return to the 89th uh, Mismore. Uh, the world. By the way, the only reason we go through the news is just because it's so poorly reported and so few people actually think about what the implications are of these things that I, I sense that it's important for us to keep this program grounded by helping our listeners uh, have a better appreciation for what's happening around them, and particularly as it relates to, uh, to Israel. Uh, and it is our responsibility to expose and condemn uh, religious and political malfeasance. So we do it for those reasons as well. And right. if you read the Torah, Prophets, and Psalms, which we study uh, every day, one of the first things you come to realize is that, that to a greater degree than Yahweh spends focusing on telling his people the way to resolve their issues with him and to be redeemed and reconciled, uh, you know, which is the, through the Moed Mekre, through the Bereth Covenant, um, coming to appreciate uh, the value of his name, coming to appreciate the contributions his son, the Messiah, uh, Dode, has made. Uh, beyond all of that, Yahweh takes the most time to speak about the malfeasance of his people and how religion is estranging them from him. And so since God speaks so vociferously, against 
religious influence and against political influence and and people's lives and since walking away from those things uh, is the uh, initial requirement of the covenant it is important that we follow his example and that's the reason we do it Uh, as an update as to where we are um, I have uh, now finished and the this is the dode rewrite it's actually dode rewrite uh, two. The first Dode read-write was to correctly present uh, Dode David as the Messiah and the Son of God, uh, and as the one who is returning, and to uh, uh, make certain that the book was the books were properly focused on their intended audience, uh, and that is on Yisrael and Yehudim. Uh, and so we did a comprehensive uh, review of every book. Uh, and represented them. Then, after doing that, um, I, um, I had to deal with uh, Daniel uh, and came to find out that Daniel himself was not a prophet. Uh, most of the book of Daniel wasn't even written by Daniel. Um, and that the only things in Daniel that have any value were actually revealed by one of the three great prophets. The three great prophets would be Moshe, Dode, and Yashaya. And it's Dode uh, as Gabriel, God's most competent and courageous man, that is the prophet uh, in the later chapters of, of uh, the book of Daniel. But since so much of it is rubbish, I began a series called Babel, which is where uh, uh, Daniel was. And then... Uh, the, the only other book that is uh, written in, uh, in Babylon uh, was Ezekiel, and that was one of the more traumatic experiences we have had in years because we learned that, mm-hmm. uh, that Ezekiel uh, was a, um, uh, an incarnation, really, of Satan, and that the book of, uh, of Ezekiel uh, is a Satan's playbook. It is, uh, it, is an, it is autobiographical of Satan. The visions are of Satan. The uh, new temple in Jerusalem is, is, uh, is essentially Satan's idea of a, in a concentration camp to, uh, to kill the last of the Jews. Uh, it is a reprehensible book. Uh, there's um, tremendous amounts of, uh, of sexual impropriety uh, in it and uh, murderous behavior. So that, we wrote that series, a three-part series on Babel. Uh, and... Uh, and that series has been rewritten based upon the realization that now we know that Dode was more than just the Messiah and the Son of God. He is more than just the returning king of Israel and king of kings. Uh, Dode is more than just the firstborn. He is the Zeroah. He's the Passover lamb. He fulfilled the first four Mikre. Uh, Pesach and Matzah leading to Bukudim and Shabuah. And he is the subject of Teruah, uh, which, by the way, is less than two weeks uh, away from uh, this evening. Had a beautiful uh, full moon, and uh, so we're looking forward to celebrating Teruah. Uh, and he will be returning on Kippurim, uh, and he will be the king of Sukkah. He is the person fulfilling the Moed Mikre. So that is such an essential part of God's story and of our salvation and of the uh, covenant's enablement 
that once you realize not only that he volunteered to do this, but why he did it uh, and why God approved him doing it, uh, you can't leave prior books hanging out there with, uh, with uh, written in a manner that's inconsistent mm-hmm. with those conclusions. So about six months ago, uh, with enormous help uh, from the entire team, uh, the Covenant family, we began rewriting them again. Um, and thus far, we have finished the rewrite and representation of the three books on Babel, on the three volumes of Coming Home. And it was in writing the third volume of Coming Home that we came to realize this, which then went back and rewrote the first two volumes of Coming Home. That then started the started uh, us going from the beginning, and I have rewritten with the help of the team uh, an introduction to God 1, 2, and 3. Recently, we have completed the rewrite of Yadayawa uh, 1 through 8. Um, and there's one of those books in particular that I, I'd like to, uh, to recommend. Uh, and that was the book that I thought was the weakest of all of the 30 books that I had written. Uh, it was called Shana Years. It's uh, about God's timing and calendar. And it was just kind of a hodgepodge of things that, that got thrown into it, didn't know quite what to do with it, but wanted to be able to, to present the key um, acts along the way. And um, while well, it hasn't been, you know, there's a, this, the edit's a three-part process, and the team has done their first review. I've done my whole work all the way through it, and then the team will uh, will uh, will make certain that I didn't mess something up as uh, as I was doing my part. Um, but I will tell you that, that that book now is a treasure. It, it There are yeah. so many wonderful and fresh insights in it that I would really encourage uh, everyone to read it. It's not posted on the uh, the shelf yet, but it, it uh, in the new form, but it will be shortly. So there are quite a lot of quite a lot of, of updates. Um, I think the team uh, is uh, is a little behind on getting things posted. Like I think ITG uh, uh, Introduction to God one has been revised and posted in the site, but I'm not sure that two and three are. And I think you've got yada yada uh, one through like six that are posted on the site, uh, right. but uh, seven and eight are not. I think um, Coming Home 1, 2, and 3 are updated on the site. I think Babel 1, 2, and 3 are updated on the site. So that's where we are. I'm about uh, 350 pages into, which is about halfway through. Um, Observations 1, there are five volumes in that series. Um, So I'm looking forward to uh, completing it. Then I'll do Questioning Paul, four volumes of it. And then I'm going to do a, uh, a quick review of uh, In the Company, Tea with Terrace, and Prophet of Doom. Uh, they will be rebranded and placed uh, on the, uh, the bookshelf um, and removed from the other books on the far right side of the, uh, the page. So it's, it's uh, not going to be any more uh, noticeable than it was previously, maybe even less noticeable because other books is something that comes up on your browser, no how, matter how wide it is, but we've been so uh, um, uh, diligent in this process, some would say verbose, that now if you're uh, looking even on a wide screen, uh, you can't get the whole bookshelf in. It's just the spines <laughs> of the bookshelf 
now exceed the widest screen setting that uh, I have, and it'll be on the far right side. So you'll have to you'd have to scroll to it. So they're not going to be any more noticeable. But I do want to go through. I want to deal some things with Prophet of Doom, where uh, we're in the beginning. I uh, I never spoke spoke of Petra, but Petra is really where uh, Islam began, uh, not in uh, in Mecca. That whole thing's a farce, uh, and I want to speak to that. And I want to make sure that I take as much of the uh, the Christianity as I can out of uh, out of tea with terrorists. Um, but they will be uh, put back on the uh, the shelf soon. So that's where we are uh, in this process. Awesome. And, and it is mm-hmm. it's really important. It's one of the things that is just so different in attitude um, uh, than um, I think any other approach. Uh, when Yahweh uh, asked uh, me and then us to do what we are doing uh, now 22 years ago, uh, the, the goal was to be a witness, to, to be a herald, to be a voice that calls out. Uh, it was not to be a prophet. Now, God, pretty clear, not pretty clear, he is absolutely clear that uh, after Malachi there would be no more prophets. None. There hasn't been a prophet since Malachi, uh, Malachi. And before him, it was Zechariah. Uh, and then uh, there was a cluster of, of prophets from Hosha to Yermiah to Yashaya to Chabauk uh, in there at, at, at a period of time. And, but Dode, as Gabriel, uh, uh, tells Daniel that that what he is going to do is going to bring an end to prophecy. So there are no more prophets. I can't, the job that God wanted me to do can't even be done by a prophet because there's not enough time left. Uh, and, and so what he was interested in is, is a witness who could take what he had already revealed and make it as clear and as relevant as possible to his people so that when he returned, there would be a wonderful gathering of a remnant of Yisrael and Yahuda in Yisrael uh, awaiting and then celebrating Yahweh's return with his beloved son, Dode. That is the mission. And had we not engaged when Yahweh asked, uh, there would have been a difficult situation because... 22 years ago, there wasn't a single Jew in Israel that would say Yahweh's name, uh, that understood the terms and conditions of the covenant, that understood the purpose of the Moed Mikre, that understood uh, Doge's role in fulfilling them. Uh, goes on and on, probably uh, a thousand different insights, many of which are essential to our relationship with Yahweh. They were not known by a single Jew in Israel. And that is changing, and changing now very rapidly because of the, uh, the rebranding of all of these books, the expansion of all of these books, the rewriting of all of these books now and the quality of them, uh, this program, uh, and the social media effort, as well as uh, you know, my mm-hmm. wife has gotten to be very prolific at creating these little short videos that are beautiful, and they're capturing people's mm-hmm. attention, particularly in Israel, that are drawing them in initially through social media and from social media directly to the site where they're, uh, they're reading uh, all that we have uh, learned and 
uh, can share, and it is resonating with them. So that is the purpose of what we're doing. Um, and no matter where we turn, Yahweh has explained it that, and told his, his people, pay attention and listen to this. But because we are witnesses and not a prophet, the process is different. So the process for us is we must listen to Yahweh, learn what he has to say, come to know what he has conveyed, then make the necessary connections to understand it, and then share it in a way that resonates with his people today. That is our role. And so in that role, we are constantly learning. If you're constantly learning, you know more today than you knew yesterday. And as you do, there are things that you become aware of that you weren't previously aware of. Like uh, I had for the last four or five years, I've talked about the possibility of Dod being the Pesach Ael, the Passover lamb. Um, but understanding why and how he fulfilled Pesach and why God allowed it uh, is a whole different story. So you come to know it. Once you know it, because of the role being different, it, there is the, uh, an absolute need to go back and correct anything that had been previously written that did not include that information. So um, I would be willing to say that of the 22 years in writing uh, now these 30 books, uh, that at least half of that time has been correcting and editing um, these books. I think we're on the ninth edit at this point through the series. And, you know, at one time it was four or five books, but, you know, now it's 30. And so it's quite a, hmm. uh, it's quite a process. But we are very open to admitting uh, our mistakes. Uh, most of the time we find our own mistakes. And when we, uh, we do, we, uh, we work to immediately correct them, which is something you do not see and uh in religious circles uh or uh, amongst yeah. people who want to charge you for what they uh have to say or what they have written and we do not so returning to th- uh, the 89th mismore dode song the uh, most pertinent piece of literature probably ever written um we find that dode and Dode is the correct pronunciation of the name that is known by most people as David. And it is Dode uh, because there are only three letters in his name. Uh, a Deleth, which uh, is a doorway in the, uh, the ancient script that the Torah was written in. A wall, which is a tent peg, which would enlarge and, and uh, secure a home. And therefore, the communication is that, that with the wall, uh, the uh, subject being discussed is being enhanced, enriched, uh, uh, expanded, uh, made greater, made more secure, or is offering uh, to enlarge and secure. So a, uh, a delet, uh which is a doorway to a home, uh, the means to enrich, to enlarge, to secure, to provide safety, and the wa and another uh, deleth as a uh, as a doorway into a home is how his name is written there's a 
Uh, it is based on a vowel, the vowel, I mean a verb. The verb is, uh, is dote, pronounced exactly the same way. Um, and so that's, that is the proper pronunciation of his name. There is uh, no I in his name, and there is no V in the uh, Hebrew alphabet, nor a, the sound of the V. So it is dote. Uh, the name is important because it means beloved. And so of all the people that God chose to be part of his story, there's only one of them whose name means beloved. That ought to be our first clue. So Dode was chosen by Yahweh. He was anointed uh, on Yahweh's instructions. And in the fashion that the Torah prescribes with uh, olive oil. Um, and then he was anointed with Yahweh's spirit. And this commenced when he was eight years old. Eight is the symbolic number of affinity. Uh, and it is the number uh, ascribed to Sukkah where we camp out with God for all time. It occurred when he was eight years old. Now, uh, uh, I have, uh, for the last 22 years, I've, I've averaged six to seven days a week. I average uh, uh, anywhere from 10 to 14, sometimes 16 hours a day uh, doing this. And, uh, and there are times where, where it, um, you'd say, boy, I, I, think, I think I need a break today. Um, but I didn't start on this until I was in uh, my, uh, my 40s. Uh, in fact, uh, closer to, uh, to uh, 50 um, is when I started. And my entire exposure to it will be 32 years. And at, uh, at this point, um, I've uh, got 22 in it. I can't imagine what it would be like to have been dote and started at eight. I mean, there's a reason that towards the end, dote said, oh, you know, huh? Can I just have the pretty girl over there? I, I, I think I need, I think, I don't know, too many uprisings, too many uh, of his own people uh, uh, attacking him. Uh, it's just too much. Uh, and, and so um, just imagine starting at eight. I mean, I, and, you know, I, I feel a little bit like Moses in the, in the way, Moshe, and that, well, the first 40 years of Moshe's life were embarrassing to him. He had one event in his life that was noble and great and courageous. And it was a sign of his, his endearing character, which is when he volunteered to, uh, to save a Hebrew man from being beaten to death by an Egyptian uh, um, taskmaster. And of course, it, uh, it cost him everything that he had in Egypt where he was a member of, of Pharaoh's uh, household. Uh, but as he looks back on that, uh, he's going to have uh, two thoughts, and the two thoughts I think are identical to my own. Uh, the first is, oh my God, I was a Christian in my case. I, I led Bible studies. I was an ordained ruling elder. I, God, I was, I was an evangelist. What in the world was wrong with me? Why would I do that? It, that religion is so stupid. Why would I do that? I mean, I'm wholly and completely embarrassed by it. I, I was also uh, 
conservative uh, Republican uh, uh, politically. And, and I say, wh- why would I do that? That is such a waste of, of energy. These guys are all s- slime. Why do that? Yeah. You know, I was pro-military, even during the Vietnam War. And, you, of course, you learn and say, well, that was the dumbest thing you could ever do. We had no business in Vietnam. We made a bad situation worse. We lied to ourselves. We lied to the Vietnamese. What in the hell were we doing there? Why subject men and women to that? And, but that's what I was. And so I can uh, feel like the Moses in the sense of, oh, my God, I really did that stuff? Shame on me. But the other is, it's how I learned about politics. It's how I learned about militarism. It's how I learned about religion. And you're not in a position to effectively expose and condemn it unless you have some understanding of it. That's why we cover the news on this program. And so Moshe was chosen by Yahweh because he was the only person on the planet that God didn't have to explain they, all that was wrong about their religion and politics and, and caste economic system of uh, Mitzrayim, Egypt. It made him the perfect candidate to do it because he not only knew those things were wrong, he had left them, uh, as I had when I uh, was called on Terua to do this job. So as we consider the fact that uh, Dode is different than the rest of us. Even Moshe didn't begin this mission until he was, uh, what, 80 years old? He had 40 years in uh, in Egypt uh, uh, and the uh, lap of luxury. He had 40 years uh, as a a shepherd attending sheep in uh, Arabia with, uh, you know, a nice uh, family. So uh, he didn't begin until he was 80. Dode began at eight. And from what we have discovered, his best writing and his most profound spiritual insights were distilled within these songs when his mind was young and receptive and when he was uh, uh, fraught with the fewest distractions. Over time, the relentless burden of being responsible for (laughs) miserable ingrates grew worrisome. As it did for Dode. Dode, or Moshe. Moshe went as far as he could go, and finally he couldn't take it anymore. Uh, the Jews were impossible. They were impossible for Dode. They were impossible for Moshe. So, in 89.45, the psalmist was inspired to write, You have cut short so as to deprive yourself of that which is required to reap the benefits of the harvest. The days when his robust presence was concealed as a young man. You have covered over him shamefully by diminishing his status. Take a moment and consider these implications. So this whole mismore is about Dode being the uh, Zoroa, which is the Passover lamb, of him fulfilling the Moed Mekre, of him being the son of God, 
of him being the Messiah, of him being the firstborn, of him with having the, the greatest inheritance, of him being the person that Yahweh chose, uh, the person that Yahweh loves, the one person that God made all of these promises to, and the one that's going to come back is the king of kings. And so the psalmist has been inspired to say, he is all of those things, so what's wrong with you? Why are you awaiting an unknown Messiah when your Messiah is known to you and he's returning? Why do you deny Passover's fulfillment when it was Dode himself who announced that he was going to do it? Why do you, do you deny that he was the Son of God when God said it was so? So when you deprive yourselves of what is necessary to be part of the harvest, to be part of that remnant of Yisrael who is celebrating Yahweh's return with Dod on Yom Kippur, I'm in year 6,000 Yah, 2033, October 2nd. When you've deprived yourself of those things and therefore the benefit of the harvest, why do you cut short? Why do you diminish? Why do you cover up his presence? Why do you shamefully disregard him? Why do you allow others to plunder and dishonor him? Take a moment to think about this. It's the single greatest mistake Jews have ever made, the most costly. You know, they had a uh, bad situation with Assyria. There was a bad situation with Babylon, bad situation with Greece. They recovered from all of those. But when Messiah came, Dode, the Zeroah, the king of Israel, came during his second of three lives to fulfill Pesach, Matzah, and Bakodim, and Jews chose to disregard him and to deny him. And they let this upstart religion start in their midst by giving this myth that there was a Jesus Messiah and that he wasn't there to fulfill uh, Pesach because that would be too Jewish. And they did go about and say, no, wait a minute. This is Dode. It, it, was, it was predicted to come on this day to fulfill Pesach, Matzah, Bakodim, and Shabuah. He has done so. Had they done that, there would have been no Christianity. Without Christianity, there would have been uh, no uh, Roman um, degradation of the, of the land and uh, diaspora. Uh, there would have been no Holocaust. There would have been no thousand years of Jews being dehumanized uh, and demonized throughout Europe. It was uh, brought on themselves. And that's the question that is being asked a thousand years before they made this horrendous mistake. And then to add insult to injury, Akiba, the father of Judaism, uh, foists his own false messiah on the world. It's like saying, okay, the Christians have come up with a false messiah. I'll beat them at their own game, and I'll come up with a false messiah. It's one of the things that's just also fascinating that uh, Paul's the first person to apply the term of rabbi to himself that uh, is, was published. And 
about a hundred years later, Rabbi Akiba uh, takes the uh, the title and says, oh, "That was pretty good. And we'll steal that title from him and we'll try this <laughs> false messiah thing. Let's see how those two things work." Oh man! But you know, rabbinic Judaism grew out of a defiance of Christianity. That's True. when it began, uh, and it's uh, it's had they defied Christianity correctly and explained what actually occurred and accepted what actually occurred, uh, Israel would be the most extraordinary nation on earth. And there would have been uh, no Holocaust, no diaspora, no, uh, no Islam, no Christianity. So there is a consequence of being wrong, especially when we believe uh, what we believe is in conflict with what Yahweh has made known to us. We cheat ourselves when we deprive Dode of what rightfully belongs to him because it shortchanges what he can do for us. You have the most important man in God's story, Dode. He has fulfilled at great personal cost Pesach and Matzah leading to Bukhudim and Shabuah. That means that he allowed Rome to torture him to death as the Passover lamb, his corporeal body. Explained exactly how that was going to happen in Mizmor 22. He then accepted our guilt, the guilt of his people, and took that guilt with him into Sheol and deposited it there so it would never be seen again, so we have no evidence against us. He did that so that we can be part of God's family on Bakurim and then be enriched and empowered on Shabuah. But when you're unwilling to acknowledge that he has done it, and no one, not a word, has been written in Judaism about his fulfillment, not a word, then you've deprived yourself of what he's done. And so you've deprived yourself of salvation. You've deprived yourself of eternal life. You've deprived yourself of being part of the covenant family. You've deprived yourself of being enriched and empowered by God. You've guaranteed that you're going to die. All because you were unwilling to acknowledge and accept this enormously wonderful sacrifice on your behalf. And while that's tragic, there's something even worse. You have the beloved Son of God, the person he loves more than anyone else, volunteer to make this ultimate sacrifice on your behalf, and you spit in his face. And then you dress up as if you're going to your own funeral, and you pretend like you're the righteous among God, people, when he despises you. For many reasons, but the greatest of them is what you've done to disregard his son's great gift. In this case, religious Jews are being accused of depriving themselves of what Dode has provided, such that they are no longer harvestable. They, there's no way to resolve their problem. They have vigorously obscured what he achieved during the fulfillment of Pesach and Matzah. They don't even acknowledge Dode's robust presence in Jerusalem 
in the Yobel year of 4000 Yan, 33 CE, even though he provided them with the exact day he would enter the city as their Messiah to fulfill Passover. It's recorded in Daniel 9. Instead of admiring, respecting, and appreciating the Son of God and the sacrificial lamb, they have veiled him in shame, disgracefully covering over what he has achieved and thereby dishonoring him. They've even applied to him the symbol of the false Messiah that Rabbi Akiba foisted on the world, the star. Oh, dear. It's almost as bad as Christians parading around under the image of a dead god on a stick. So at this time, the psalmist asks a rhetorical question for God's people to ponder. While the interval of time being questioned was of God's choosing, being unknown for that long is counter to everything he intended. He has done his part, making it relatively easy for those who are serious in their pursuits to become acquainted with him. Yahweh is knowable. He proves his existence. He has systematically provided and simultaneously validated the authenticity of the revelation that we are bringing to your attention. Within it, we are given everything we need to know how to engage in this relationship. No Talmud required. In fact, it's a hindrance. No New Testament required. In fact, it is also a hindrance. Everything we need is in the Torah, Prophets, and Psalms. We know that we have been invited into his home to be part of his family and that he has established two sets of conditions for that to occur. One is that we answer his invitations to meet seven times a year, beginning with Pesach and then Matzah and Bakodim, Shabuah, Teruah, Kippurim, and Sukkah. And that we accept the five terms and conditions of the covenant, which is to walk away from Babel, from the confusion and intermixing of religion and politics and government. That we walk to God and allow him to perfect us, which is what Dode made possible by fulfilling Matzah that we trust and rely upon Yahweh as opposed to religion or man's writings or our government. That we come to know, appreciate, scrutinize, explore these terms and conditions, the mitzvah, that comprise this covenant relationship and that as men, we are circumcised, and that as parents, we circumcise our sons on the eighth day so that they will be brought up with the opportunity to know and um, enjoy eternal life in God's home. Those are the conditions. They have not changed, and they're all presented in the text of the Torah and Prophets. Now, the reason that so few have availed themselves of this marvelous opportunity is that religion and government, militarism and conspiracy, have gotten in the way. They have obscured the view. They have cluttered the path. It's difficult for those in Israel to accept the fact 
that the people who are the most wrong, the people who are the furthest from God, are the people who are claiming otherwise. The people that God hates the most among his people are the Herodim. And yet they claim otherwise. That's difficult for people to grasp. And the progressives would, you know, say, oh, who cares if it's a God? We don't really give a hoot. Uh, you know, so long as we can ride our, our new uh, trolley on, uh, on the Shabbat, we're, uh, we're happy. Uh, you know, keep our liberal judges in place and, uh, and we won't uh, riot anymore. You know, progressives really just don't care about any of this stuff. But the Herodim, they make it their life, and there's nothing they could do to cause God to be even more disgusted at them. So for how long, Yahweh, the psalmist asks, will you remain hidden, concealed, and virtually unknown? An interesting question, because as I say, when we started this 22 years ago, uh, there, I, I don't think there was a single Jew on the planet that knew Yahweh. No. And and uh, and of course, until quite recently, there wasn't a single Jew in Israel that knew Yahweh. Yeah. He was hidden, concealed, virtually unknown, worldwide. So the answer to that question was, well, this was written in year. Um, a uh, 3,000 Yah. And we are okay. 10 years away from year 6,000 Yah. So um, we're dealing with 3,000 years is the, uh, is the answer to the end. And, you know, we started about 22 years ago. That's how long. Your righteous indignation, overt displeasure, and furious antagonism is kindled and burned eminently and prominently like a fire. So God hasn't disappeared from his people because, you know, he wants to uh, eat bonbons and, uh, and uh, you know, put his toes in the, in, a, in the running stream. I mean, no, he's disgusted. That's what is so difficult, I think, for people to grasp, is right. that God is utterly disgusted by those who are overtly political and religious, and you'd have to look long and hard to find a country that was more fractured both politically and religiously than Israel. And so God says, I did all of this for you. I chose you as my people. I revealed myself to you. I gave you the gift of the covenant. I stood with the fathers of the covenant to assure your success. When you found yourself in distress in Mitzrayim, I rescued you. I liberated you. Then I gave you my Torah guidance in your presence, in your language, while I was liberating you, and I gave you the most coveted country on earth. And all the way, I was with you, and I supported you, and I fed you, and I clothed you, and I taught you, and all the while, you spit in my face. And you were irascible and unappreciative and argumentative. But nonetheless, I continued to reveal myself to you. I continued to appeal to you. 
I continued to be in your presence. Finally, I gave you my beloved son, Dode. And I anointed him and I inspired him to set the example of the covenant and such that he would write these, the Mizmor, the songs, and the Mashal to explain to you what I was offering, what he was offering, how you can capitalize on this relationship, even in the 119th, how to explore the Torah. Gave this all to you. And all you continued to do was to be religious. Disown me. Write my name out of your scriptures. Deny what my son has done for you. God is upset. He's furious. He's not furious at Gentiles. They didn't know any better. He's furious at his people. That's why they don't know him. The last time the majority of Israelites knew Yahweh was 3,000 years ago when Dode began his initial reign as king. Since that time, and until quite recently, that number dwindled to zero. In fact, I think that number was zero from right around 450 BCE until about um, 20 years ago. Zero. It would not be until we began to post Yada Yawa online that this began to change. Properly named, Yada, to know, Yawa. And to think, the 1.8 million Haredi are so intellectually incapacitated by their rabbis they will continue to engender Yahweh's overt antagonism and burning indignation without any hope of future awareness. And all the while, they disparage father and son by claiming that their appalling religion is righteous. These books are labeled Yada Yahweh to know Yahweh for a reason. It seems more appropriate to please our father than to continually antagonize him. There are already 1,800,000 1, shrill Jewish voices and another 4 million, or 4 billion, I should say, Christian and Muslims fanning the flames of divine wrath. Three millennia is a very, very long time, at least by our standards, perhaps not by God's. Time does not flow for him as it does for us. Unlike creatures bound to the earth, Yahweh as a spiritual being determines how he experiences time, varying the pace of its flow to suit his needs. The 19 to 20 centuries, which have crawled past since the Messiah, Dode, fulfilled Chag Matzah, were so horrific, it's unlikely God paid attention to anything that happened during that span. 
Well, why would he? What would be the purpose? I, I get. No, I get it. That's wow. Concept. Fortunately, we have reached the conclusion of this interval. With each word we translate and share, Yahweh becomes less hidden to his people. When Father and Son return on Yom Kippurim, the Day of Reconciliations in year 6000, Yah, October 2nd, sunset, 6.22 p.m., and Jerusalem, the year will be 2033, 10 years from now. He will be known to the extent that it is possible. Not surprising, that is stated. That is the stated purpose for his choder, which is a sucker growing out from the established and fallen uh, stump and rootstock, his knackery, observant mm-hmm. foreigner, and his nesh, which is a sign. Within seven years of, uh, of uh, this program, we can expect Elia, Yahweh is God, Elijah, and Yada, he knows, to arrive and let the world know, in no uncertain terms, just how displeased God is with humankind. I mean, I'm fairly irascible now. I, I, I don't suffer fools well, and uh, I, uh, I despise religion and politics. And, you know, I'm disgusted, for example, on the long sentences for uh, the uh, the January sixth uh, uh, individuals, I think that it's 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 wrong. Um, but can you imagine the attitude that we're going to have, knowing that uh, Yahweh is uh, is just three years away with uh, Dote, and that those who are unwilling to accept that will either be in uh, exterminated in that period of time or um, they're going to be nope, sent in shield because they actually led people astray. So, you yeah. know, you're dealing with an entirely different circumstances where there's only three years left and there are only three outcomes that is going to affect everybody in those three years. You're going to choose to accept the terms and conditions of the covenant, be part of the of God's family, take it, uh, take, capitalize upon what Dode has done, taking advantage of what he has offered. You're going to continue to be religious or political. Your soul will dissipate. Or you can advocate things that are contrary to God's interest and to his people's interest, in which case your soul will spend eternity in Sheol. All of that's going to happen. One, two, or three fates over the course of those three years. And so uh, there will be no um, equivocating during that period. Not that there is much of that at this point. Uh, now it gets personal, and it should with, uh, with all of us as well. The psalmist writes, You have chosen to remind me to ask about the duration of life in this world, and the temporary things by contrast to eternity, especially how time flows differently relative to the observer. Was it nothing that you created each of the sons of Adam 
This is uh, 8947. So the first part of this is something that is essential for us to understand. If we want to go from where we are, where we're finite beings stuck in the ordinary flow of time as, as, um, as material uh, life forms, we are constantly degrading. Now, I, I like to think that, uh, that I'm you know, close to what I was at my prime, but I'm not. You know, we're falling apart. We are literally falling apart. And we're stuck yeah. in time. And so uh, the psalmist is saying, you know, you, your situation, yeah, is different than the rest of us. You're liberated in time. You've got all eternity in every direction. And that ma uh, cheled is what is one lifetime? How long will things continue to transpire in this world at the present pace? This, this idea that as we grow in dimensions from three to seven and that time is the fourth dimension, it opens up the entire universe to us. And so the psalmist is talking about that and how different time is perceived for Yahweh than it is for us. So for us to think, how in the world would it be possible for God to ignore his people for 2,000 years? Because for Yahweh, it was two seconds. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Then he says, you know, he's, he's, he's asking really a rhetorical question. Is Was it for nothing? that you created the sons of Adam. So, you know, so 2,000 years, no contact, no one knows you. But if no one knows you and there's no contact, what was the purpose of creation? Why even bother with Adam and the Garden of Eden? Why bother with, with Noah and with Abraham and with Sarah? Why bother with them? What's the purpose of all of the stuff that you did with Dode if no one knows you? No nail. Yeah, and that's the purpose of Teruah. It's the purpose of our calling. It's the purpose of this website, yadayah.com. It is the purpose of the whole Yadayah series of books. It's the purpose of this program. Because it isn't for nothing that Yahweh created the sons of Adam. It was for companionship and relationship and for family. And God's reminding his people that that was their calling, their purpose. And that, Israel, you have an opportunity. But it's, and this door isn't going to stay open very long to discard religion and politics and accept Yahweh as your God. Dode as your Messiah. The Mikra as your invitations. And the Bereth as your family. Yahweh chose to share these events and this information about Dode with the wisest member of uh, Solomon's council. He did so in the Yobel year of 3000 Yah, 968 BCE, at the commencement of the construction of his home. As a result, this Mizmor has become the cornerstone of the covenant. Revealed in the exact center of mankind's journey out of the garden 
and back to Eden. Dode's song serves as a marker in time. It's the fulcrum of which we go up or down. 1,000 years to the day on Passover, in year 4,000 Yah, God's beloved son served as the Zeroah, the sacrificial lamb. And he fulfilled Pesach and Matzah and Bakurim to redeem his people and to enable each of the covenant's blessings, of which there are five. Forty, Yobel thereafter, he will return, which is just ten years from now, and he's going to reconcile the remnant of Yisrael on Yom Kippur. The thought of the Messiah suffering in this manner is hard to fathom from our perspective, but not from the Father's or his uh, in, uh, in his company. What, after all, are two hellish days compared to an eternity with one's family. The anguishing memory of the sacrifice would pass, but the covenant that they enabled would endure forever. Any one given the opportunity to, to suffer for two days to provide eternal life for their loved ones would do so. Now, fortunately, Dode was the one who first recognized that this opportunity existed and he chose to capitalize on it. And we can speculate as to all the reasons. And we're going to stop uh, broadcasting here, um, but for those listening on their phones, they will still be able to hear the program. And for all of those who listen to the archives, everything we say will still be recorded for the next uh, little while. So we can look at Dode's choice to endure these two hellish days for an eternity of blessings for the family. And we can say that he was the brightest guy that ever lived. He knew Yahweh better than anyone who has uh, ever taken steps on this earth. And so he simply figured it out and said, well, that's the right thing to do. Uh, I can uh, serve as the, uh, as the Passover lamb. I'll take uh, my people's guilt with me into Sheol and deposit it there to perfect them. And therefore, we will all enjoy uh, being adopted into God's family and being enriched and empowered by him. And he could have simply said, that's the right answer. Let's do the right thing. May have been no more than that. It could also have been that Dode, as the foremost student of the Torah, reading how the children of Israel turned on Moshe, character was exemplary. Moshe did everything right. And yet, over all of this time, they continually harassed him, even threatened to kill him. And he was their liberator. And giving them the Torah, and Dode could have looked at that and said, well, you know, my life uh, doesn't really uh, stand up to Moshe. Nobody's could. And he couldn't lead the people for 40 years How in the world am I supposed to lead them for all eternity unless something changes? And the best way for something to change is for me to save my people. 
if I laid my life down for them, if I endure hell for them, then I will have earned their respect. Could have been the primary motivation. I think it likely is. I have speculated, and uh, and uh, there are Mismore which seem to uh, to affirm it that uh, Dode never got over loving Absalom, even though Absalom turned against him and led a coup against him. Nonetheless, the father loved his son. And when it comes to important things, so long as he doesn't have to give up on his principles, yeah, it was negotiable. I can see Dode, as much as he loved his son, saying, if I do this, can my son be included and the beneficiaries as a beneficiary as to what I'm going to do? That would be very personal motivation. And the reason I happen to like that is I like to project myself into, uh, into Yahweh's uh, perspective. So Yahweh is dealing with, with people who have spit in his face, who have rebelled against him, who have uh, thrown the gifts that he has offered them uh, back uh, at his feet. So Yahweh has endured this for the past 6,000 years. And we as people are often as, uh, as appalling as was Absalom. And yet Yahweh was willing to do all of this for our benefit. Mm-hmm. So why not indulge Dode? who has a son that's as wayward as we have been, certainly as wayward as Israel has been relative to Yahweh, and say, yeah, uh, if I'm going to apply this to to Yisrael, uh, it's only fair to let you apply this to, uh, to your son since you are enduring the sacrifice. And I can see a father saying, I'll do it. What a wonderful story. Yeah, I just think it, uh, I know there's, there's people who listen to this and say, you know, well, he didn't do this, he didn't do that. And uh, and I understand it. Um, um, I'm speculating here. This is not a, uh, a, a life and death issue. But the things that that drive me as I, as I do this is trying to understand Yahweh's motivation, Yahweh's thinking, Dode's motivation, Dode's thinking, why things turned out this way. And this just strikes me as is such a, a heartwarming and elegant solution, and it helps to explain the whole nature of that story, and uh, would explain some of Dode's motivation. So anyway, there we we can talk about all the reasons why he decided to do it. I think they're all uh, interesting and wonderful. Fact of the matter is that Dode came to Yahweh and said, I want to do this during his first life. And he was then, uh, oh, Yahweh was an open book. He says, okay, my son, you want to do this? I want to show you what it's going to take. And Dode had the courage, the character, to watch himself endure. Pesach can be tortured by the Romans. And then to be laden with our guilt, to be disgusting at that moment, and then to be incarcerated in Sheol during matzah to perfect us. 
and he wrote about that in the 88th Mizmor, and it's uh, it's scribed prophetically of him in Yeshaya 53. And so he witnessed what he would endure. God said, I still want to do it. This is what it's going to take. And then Dode spoke of his motivations for it, and, and Yahweh spoke of his son fulfilling it. And he even told Daniel the exact day that he was going to arrive and all the benefit that could be derived from it. And not one accepted his gift. Imagine making a sacrifice of, uh, of that magnitude and not a single person that you have done it for recognizes you for having done it. And that 2,000 years would go by since you made the sacrifice, 3,000 years since you provided the eyewitness account of what you were going to do and how horrific it was going to be, 3,000 years it takes before somebody finally says, oh, I get it. The 22nd Mismore is written in first person of the fulfillment of Passover by Dode because it's Dode fulfilling it. The 88th Mismore explains in first person what transpired during the fulfillment of matzah and was written by Dode because, well, it was Dode that fulfilled it. The son who is, who is given to us that is going to provide all of these marvelous benefits in Yashaya 9 is named Dode because, well, it's really about Dode. The whole story of homes and who builds them and who lives in them and what God wants to do for his son and Second Samuel 7 is all about Dode and provides Dode's name because, well, guess what? It's about Dode. Yashaya 53 that explains the whole process of, of placing our guilt upon the sacrificial soul that is going to carry it away to perfect us is introduced with do you know who it was that figured out who the Zoroa really are? Because Dode is the foremost of the Zoroa. And because it wasn't until just a matter of a few years ago that anybody even knew what Zoroa meant in this regard or associated with Dode. You know, all of this is made so abundantly clear in the first 30 Mismore, where Dode says, I'm going to do this, and this is why I'm going to do it. And yet, when he did it, even in, in Daniel 9, where it says the day that I'm going to do it and what the benefit's going to be, no one paid any attention. His people completely ignored it and have denied it. They still are expecting a nameless Messiah. They're still denying that anyone can be the Son of God when that's the entire purpose of the Moed Mikre. It's the whole purpose of the covenant. And it is yeah. consistent with yeah, was overt declarations regarding Dode. So there we are. 
Um, yeah. And this is uh, this is the song that brings all of that to our attention. Explains God's motivations, His gift, Dode's motivations, His gift. It's all there for us. And if you are a Jew living in Israel, and you're not overtly political or overtly religious, and you're open to the truth, this is your opportunity. Be among the remnant of Yisrael. Be there when Yahweh returns. It's just 10 years from now. October 2nd, 2033. Be among those who returns to Eden, who Yahweh welcomes with open arms who has the opportunity to serve with Dode. Well, that's the purpose of the 89th Mismor. It's the purpose of Teruah, to tell you about it. It's the purpose of Yadayawa, to make you aware of it. Um, what you choose to do with this information is, is, is entirely up to you, but you're being offered eternal life in God's home as one of his children inheriting all that he has to offer why would you why would anyone in their right mind turn that down particularly when Yahweh proved that he is God and demonstrated undeniably that he authored the text that we're reading and has shown that he can be trusted What are you going to give up with so much to gain? Well, it's uh, always a, uh, you come to the end of a program like this and you say, well, you know, I'd, I'd like to just continue on, but I think we have reached the uh, the end, really, of, of our time. This evening is probably best that we pick up uh, uh, again here next week, but um, uh, between now and then particularly if you are Jewish and you're living in Israel, Come to Yada Yah. Open the first book on this shelf, Introduction to God, Volume 1. It's free. You can read it on your phone. You can read it on your tablet. You can read it on your computer. If you like the analog world of, uh, of real paper and ink, you can go to Amazon. Um, you can buy the paperback versions for, uh, I guess they average about 11 or 12 bucks a piece for 600-page uh, books. Quite a value. Yes, sir. Um, they're royalty-free. They All you're paying for is the cost of, of the printing and the book itself. There are hardbacks there, too, and there's uh, also uh, uh, the... Uh, the electronic versions i think they are, are a whopping 35 or 40 cents but again everything that we're talking about is available free on the site would encourage you to read it um, if you do you'll come to know yahweh if you do you'll come to know exactly what he's offering and what he expects in return it's um mentioned the word before there's no equivocation there's uh, no vacillation 
uh, it's exceedingly clear and the picture is enormously wonderful God's not asking you to worship him he's not asking you to bow down to him he's not asking you to pray to him he's not asking you to make any donations to him there is no um, uh, organization that he wants you to join there's nobody that you need to express your loyalty to it's a rather extraordinary situation he says I want you to listen to me I want you to observe what I have uh, shared with you it's in your best interest and uh, I want you to capitalize on uh, this but here are the conditions and they're very simple I shared them with you in the beginning of this program they're all in your interest they're throwing parties and ask you to attend. They're also in your interest. It's a very straightforward path. And Yahweh is exactly as you would most want him to be. Loving, approachable, kind, brilliant, interesting. And he has a single desire for all of us. And that's he wants to be our father. Well, with that, I say uh, good night. Uh, thank you, Dee. Thank you, uh, Kirk. Look forward to being with you this Thanks. time next week. Uh, may God bless you all. Have a wonderful Shabbat. Night, Joe. Good night. Good night. And Dee. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.